verse 20. Just one verse of scripture. Woo! Hallelujah. We'll read it in the New King James translation and then we'll switch over and read it in the Amplified translation also. I hope media will be able to help me. First in the New King James translation, let's read together. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, in the Amplified. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. Our God is able. Tell your neighbor your God is able. He says now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all hallelujah my God wants to blow your mind my God wants to go beyond your expectations above all you could ask think or imagine he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above and he is able to do so hallelujah glory to God and then he says according to the power that is at work within you. There's power in you. Tell your neighbor you've got power on the inside of you. More power than you could ever imagine. There is more to you than meets the eye. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. You need to be very careful about how you treat people because you don't know what they're carrying. Hallelujah. Can you put on a little bit of attitude this Sunday morning and tell your neighbor, be careful, be careful how you treat me. You don't know what I'm carrying. <laughs> I've got power on the inside of me. <laughs> you know, the scripture says elsewhere, he says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of, of God of the power may be of God and not of us you have treasure on the inside of you God says that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask think or imagine according to the power that is at work within you oh Jesus help me Lord this Sunday morning that word according is a very strong word because it's telling you that it is directly proportional the problem is not on this side of the equation. The problem is on this side of the equation. God is able. There is no doubt in his ability. He is able to blow your mind. But what limits him is it is according to the power that is at work within you. So if you are not putting the power to work, you are limiting the exceedingly abundantly above. The more you put the power to work, the more of the exceedingly abundantly above that you are able to see. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? So a lot of people are carrying great treasure. They're carrying great power. They're carrying great potential, but it's not working. They haven't put it to work. Now, how do you put it to work? You put it to work. One of the ways you put it to work is through prayer. So the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man causes much power to be made available. Causes much power to put, be put to work. Causing you to now see the exceedingly abundantly of God. The simple subject of my meditation, this service, this Sunday is exceedingly abundantly above prayer. Tell your neighbor, exceedingly abundantly above 
prayer. It's similar content, but it's a different angle. Mighty Father, help me. I yield my members, my mind, every part of me to you. I ask that you take complete control. That you cause my tongue to be as the red pen of the ready writer. That I might describe upon the hearts of the men and women here your living truth. And that by reason of that truth, we'll be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We won't go back the same way we came. In Jesus' mighty name. And the people shouted a loud amen. As you take your seats, once again, say exceedingly abundantly above prayer. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Blessed be God. Woo. Hallelujah. I'm going to be talking about prayer, but not in the way that you probably are used to hearing it. I'm believing God that by the time we are done this Sunday, there's going to be a significant shift in your life. Great light is coming your way. It's going to dispel darkness. Your prayer life is going to a totally new level in the mighty name of Jesus. You see, we're living in a day and age where a lot of people have lost confidence in prayer. Let me qualify that. They've lost confidence in their own prayer. They, 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 for them, prayer has become a 50-50 proposition. They, it's, it's like rolling a dice. Not sure which prayer will work, which prayer will not work. When I pray, I come out and I'm not sure what's going to happen. Is, it, is the answer going to come or is the answer not going to come? There's a loss of confidence in personal prayer. In fact, that loss of confidence has less, led to so many people now outsourcing their prayer life. Where they feel that, well, let me get somebody else to pray. Since I'm not confident that my prayer life can produce results. Now, don't get, don't get me wrong. I have no problem with corporate prayer, with various prayer altars, and so on and so forth. But... If all I do is pray for you, I've done you a disservice. I must go beyond praying for you to teach you how to pray for yourself. So because people have lost confidence in praying for themselves, they now contract others to pray for them. That they feel are more anointed, are more powerful, are senior sons of God or daughters of God. They are more children of God than you are a child of God. So somehow they are closer to God and God is able to hear them while God somehow doesn't hear you. So let them pray and I'll be okay. That devil is a liar. I, 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 I've got to teach you how to pray. I'm a, I'm a prophetic teacher. That's my assignment. That's my call. All my life, I teach God's word, rightly dividing God's truth, equipping the saints to be everything that God called them to be. So we're, we're talking about prayer in this, this service today, but it's in a way you probably haven't seen it before. And by the time we're done, your confidence in prayer is going to go to a totally new level. Somebody shout amen. Now, one of the first things for prayer is that you've got to be confident. You've got to know about God's ability. You've got to be convinced that God is able. Somebody say, God is able. 
our scriptures, our pilot text said that now unto him that is able, God is able. There is nothing our God cannot do. What is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, nothing shall be impossible. You've got to be totally, resolutely convinced of God's ability. I don't know what it is you are facing right now. I don't know what the obstacle is. I don't know what the challenge is. I don't know what the problem is. But it is not beyond the hand of my God to intervene and to sort it out. If you believe what I'm saying, come on shout amen. amen the people of faith believe in the ability of God and our father of faith father Abraham we read about him in the book of Romans in chapter 4 from verse 18 to 22 listen to what it says about Abraham the father of faith he said who against hope believed in hope in other words who when there was no reason to hope still hoped in God that sounds like the time that we are living in right now we're living in challenging times we're living in times of crisis times of problems times of all sorts of challenges. It seems like there is no reason to hope but our father Abraham against hope, believed in hope. When there was no reason to still hope, he still hoped that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19. And be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised... You see, he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, Father Abraham was convinced of God's ability. He was fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded of three things. He was, first of all, fully persuaded that God had promised. Number two, he was fully persuaded that God was able. Number three, he was fully persuaded that God would do it. And you have to have conviction on these three levels also. You must believe, you must know what God has promised you and be fully persuaded that he has promised you. Because if he has promised you, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. If he said it, he will make it good. If he pronounced it, he's going to perform it. If you believe it, come and shout amen. You've got to be convinced. If you are going to be able to have the faith that overcomes, the first thing is to make sure that you are convinced that God gave me this promise. He promised. But after believing and being convinced and being persuaded that God promised you, then you've got to be convinced and persuaded that God is able. I don't think anybody has a problem with this. Is this not the God that parted the Red Sea? Is this not the God that raises the dead back to life? Is this not the water walker? Is this not the opening opener of deaf ears and the opening opener of blind eyes? Our God is able. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the ancient of days. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Does anybody believe in the ability of God? Under the sound of my voice, come on, give God the praise. So a lot of us don't really have a problem with the ability of God. Where we have a problem is with the willingness of God. I know he can, but will he? 
Well, I came to tell you this morning, he not only will, he has already done it. Hallelujah. You know, there were some blind people or lame people that came to Jesus and said, "Uh, will you heal us? He said, I will. And when Jesus gave that answer, he was speaking that I am always willing. I am willing. He will. You've got to believe that he will. It might not have happened yet. You might not have seen it yet. It might not have shown up yet, but he will. Like Father Abraham, you've got to have conviction on these three levels. Convinced that he promised, convinced that he's able, and convinced that he will do it. And he will do it. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout, yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And so, I'm a Bible teacher. So, we're going to be jumping and cross-referencing scriptures. And we're going to knit them together to finally get to a particular conclusion. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So, let's quickly go to the book of James in chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Uh, it, It says here, let's read it in the Amplified translation if you would therefore confess your sins to one another your false steps your offenses and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man believer can accomplish much when put into action and make made effective by god it is dynamic and can have tremendous power go to the new king king james translation of that same verse confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much okay the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man causes things to happen it makes power to go to work we started to link the scriptures together god is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask think or imagine according to the power that is at work within you you put the power inside you to work through effective and fervent prayer and then you are able to produce the exceeding abundantly above of god now let's look at the, the, the adjectives used to describe prayer in that, that James and chapter 5 verse 16. He said effective and fervent. What is effective? Effective means that it is, it is hitting the mark. It means that it is producing the desired result. It means that it is uh, achieving the outcome that it was set out to achieve. It's telling you that there is a type of prayer that hits the mark. There's a type of prayer that produces the results that you desire. Amen and amen. And you are supposed to engage in this type of prayer. It is called effective prayer. It is called intelligent prayer. Now that means that there is prayer that is non-effective. There is prayer that is unintelligent. Uh, I jump to the book of James in chapter 4, verse 2b and verse 3. It says, uh, it says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may st- spend it upon your desires. So it's telling you that you desire many things, but you don't see those things come to pass. And there are certain reasons why you don't see them come to pass. Number one reason, because you do not ask at all. So you have people that are not praying. And God says that I can't answer if you do not pray. So the first base is not praying. But he says there's another category of people. 
that it is not that they are not praying, is that they are praying amiss. They are praying unintelligently. They are praying inaccurately. They are not praying effective, fervent prayer. Their prayer is not producing the result. It tells you one of the reasons why their prayer is amiss is because their prayer is self-centered prayer. It is motivated only by what they desire, their own lusts. And God says, I don't answer that type of prayer. We live in a world now, even in the church, where so much of our prayer is self-centered instead of kingdom-centered. Meanwhile, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto you. Jesus, teaching us to pray. He said, pray after this pattern. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it is only a few steps down that he now tells you to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He's not telling you that your bread is not important to me, your needs are not important to me. He's saying that I already know about those things. Just put my kingdom first. I will sort out the rest. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? Hallelujah. I'm going to take care of the rest, but prioritize my kingdom. So part of being able to pray intelligent prayer, to pray the prayers that produce results, the prayers that will deliver to you the exceedingly abundantly of God, is that it has to put the kingdom of God first. What does God want? We are so used to going to God with our shopping lists. Who's going to go to God and say, God, what do you want? Help me to pray what you want. That is praying intelligently. That is praying accurately. That's praying not amiss. Now I quickly go again to the book of 1 John and chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Listen closely. 1 John 5, 14 and 16. It says, 14 and 15, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that when we pray, any, ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. He's hearing you. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This is the confidence that we have. We have confidence. We have faith. We have guarantee. We have shorty. This is the confidence that we have. That when we pray, according to his will, he hears us. And if he has heard us, we know that we will receive that which we have asked. So the confidence is rooted in knowing that you are praying the will of God. Once you know that what you are praying is the will of God, then you have confidence. If you do not know that what you are praying is the will of God, if you are doubting whether it's the will of God or it's not the will of God, then you do not have confidence. Where does confidence come from? Confidence comes from knowing something. Have you ever gone into an exam hall that you read, man, as in you studied, 
you read the latest textbook on the subject from back to front, from front to back. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? You knew that you knew this stuff. Every handout you read, you knew, I, I, you know how it is when you've read like that? What happens to you? You have confidence. In fact, no, this, this one is a little bit beyond confidence. You have arrogance. When you know that, I know this one. You know, you know how you walk into the exam hall when you've read like that? Other people are shaking, you are, you are bouncing, you know, you've got some swag. Why? Because you've got confidence. You get into the exam hall, you sit down, you cross your leg. You say, ah, what is, ah, this exam should have started. Why? Because you know something. It has given you confidence. You are ready. What, what are they going to ask me? I have the answer. But then, some of us have experienced the opposite of that. Where for some reason... You did not read. You only read 24 hours of the exam. And you could only read one topic. In a 25 topic subject. How do you go into that type of exam? (laughs) You go shaking from top to bottom. You are praying that they will cancel. They will postpone. Then if there is some rumor of a looter in the school... You quickly go and encourage them, let's do a luta, let's do, let's protest, let's do a luta. Because you are hoping that the exam will not, why? Because there's something you do not know. Confidence comes from knowledge. He says, my people are destroyed. Not because the devil is so strong, not because demons are so powerful. They are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Something they do not know. If they knew it, they couldn't be destroyed. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Knowledge. If you, listen, if you study the New Testament very well, you study Paul's prayers. Paul had two major prayers that he kept on praying. Number one, thanksgiving for what God had already done. Number two, that you may know. There were very few of Paul's prayers that were prayers to do something. It was always prayers to know something. That you may know. Because the day you know, though that when you know the truth, the truth shall do what? Make you free. The day you know you are free. You walk out on bondage. You walk out on sickness. The day that you truly know. Confidence comes from knowledge. And according to what we're reading in 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 16, the, the confidence we have in prayer is knowing that what we are praying is the will of God. Therefore, when I go into the place of prayer, I literally only have one prayer point. Let your will be done, oh God. But I'm not praying let your will be done the way most people pray let your will be done. The the way most people pray let your will be done is, I don't know what is going to happen. Let your will be done. Since I don't know what your will is. Oh God, let your will be done. If you are going to give me the job, let your will be done. If you are not going to give me the job, let your will be done. That's not the type of let your will be done. The type of let your will be done that I am praying is a let your will be done based on me knowing what that will is. So as I'm going into the place of prayer, I'm first of all finding out what is the will of God as regards what I want to pray about. Where do I find the will of God? I find it in the word of God. Because the word of God is the revealed will of God. 
So I go into the word of God and I find out what God is saying about that matter. And once I am convinced the word of God is established in the mouth of two or three witnesses that this is God's will, then I'm confident I take that to God in the place of prayer. Intelligent prayer is taking God's word back to him. Which should naturally lead to another question. The question is that if God already knows my needs, knows everything that is going on in my life, why do I have to pray? And he's a good, good father. He already knows what I need, so he should just provide, right? Well, in the book of Genesis and chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, we see the divine intent where God says, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness and let them have dominion. Remove the words in between. God was saying, let us let them. So by creating man, God delegated the authority and the responsibility for what happens on this earth over to man. And since God will not break his own edict, he will not even be able to intervene until man invites him into intervention so you start to see why prayer is essential prayer is inviting God to intervene in the circumstance not because God could not but God needed our prayer that's why God is always looking for a man to stand in the gap Miles Morone of Blessed Memory says it this way therefore our prayer is legal license for heavenly intervention every time you are praying in a accordance to God's will, you are giving God access to your situation, access to your circumstance, access into that problem. Even right now, I decree and declare that as we are gaining light and we're learning how to pray in accordance to God's will, we're going to see divine interventions, supernatural turnarounds, great liftings like never before. If you believe it, come and shout amen. Intelligent prayer is praying according to God's will. That prayer gives God access to our situations and to our circumstance. This is the type of prayer that God is looking for. So I'm praying for the will of God. But there are a lot of people that are afraid of praying for God's will. Do you know why people are afraid of praying for God's will? People are afraid for praying for God's will because they are concerned that what if God's will for me is something that I don't want? Hello? Can we be honest? Am I talking to anybody here? Ah. What if God wants to send me to Somalia now? <laughs> what if God wants to send me to Afghanistan? Or what if God wants me to be a missionary? What if God, ah, Lord, I'm not sure. Let me just pray the one that I know that I want. I don't want, I don't know what your will is. You see how lack of knowledge always leaks, leads to a loss of confidence. Because I don't know the will, I don't want to pray for the will. So they are scared to pray. We are scared to pray for God's will. But it's also because we do not know. Let me tell you something about my God. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says, I know, God is saying, I don't have any doubt. I know. I'm not thinking, I'm not hoping, I'm not imagining. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They are not thoughts of evil, but they are thoughts of hope. To give you a future and a hope. To bring you to the expected end. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? This is what our God is saying. He says, I I know the thoughts that 
I have towards you. When you understand this about God, that even from afar off, his thoughts towards you are never ill, are never evil, are never bad, but they are always to give you a future and a hope. You will not be afraid of his thoughts. Even if his thought is to send you to Afghanistan, it means therefore that he has provided everything you are going to need to survive and to do whatever he's assigning you to do in Afghanistan. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They are thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God's thoughts for you are good. Let me tell you, God wants better for you than you want for yourself. God wants more for you than you want for yourself. This my God wants to pour you out a blessing that you will not have room enough to contain. This is my God. In the book of James and chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 it says, be not deceived my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift comes from the father of light in whom there is no variableness nor the shadow of turning. Did you hear that? It didn't say there is no turning with him. It said there is no shadow, not even the hint, not even the suggestion of turning. That means he's consistent. That means that he's reliable. That means that he's not a man that he should not lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he has said it, he will make it good. If he has proclaimed it, he will perform it. If you believe it, come and shout, yeah. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light, in whom there is no variableness, nor the shadow of turning. That means all that comes from God is good. He's altogether good. He's altogether lovely. He doesn't curse. He blesses. If you believe me, come and shout, yeah. I know this is coming against some of our religious understanding, because we do not understand the difference between the Old Testament writer and the New Testament writer. The Old Testament writer had no understanding, clear revelation of a good God and a bad devil. The Old Testament writer only considered the sovereignty of God. Therefore, he ascribed everything as coming from God. So therefore, the Old Testament writer will say... Ah, God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I know we use that a lot at funeral ceremonies. But God doesn't give and God doesn't take away. God gives and God gives and God gives. And then he gives again. It's the devil and self and sin that takes away. Is anybody hear me? What I'm saying. But the Old Testament writer not understanding the devil of God simply ascribes everything to God. Go think about it and you agree with me. It's just like that old Old Testament writer that said the evil spirit from the presence of the Lord went to torment Saul, giving you the impression that God has a special compartment in heaven where he keeps evil spirits to send an assignment from time to time. Well, that devil is a liar. God has no such 
uh, compartment. That's simply the Old Testament writer writing the way that he understood it. Uh, evil comes from the devil and good comes from our God. Our God is faithful. Our God is reliable. Our God is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light in whom there is no variableness nor the shadow of turning. If you believe it, come and shout yeah! Oh, Lord Jesus. And so Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not up today and down tomorrow. He's not good today and bad tomorrow. He is consistent. The same yesterday, today, and forever. We are the changing ones. He is the unchanging one. You can depend on him. You can and take his word to the bank and it will come through for you if you believe it come and shout yeah hallelujah it's a good God he's altogether good you see when you are convinced of his character when you understand his character you have no cause to be afraid of praying his will Listen, the other reason that people are afraid of praying his will is because religion taught us that his will is always something unpleasant and distasteful. Religion taught us that if it is God's will, you will not like it. And anything you like must not be God's will. Has anybody grown up on, under that kind of subtle teaching or suggestion? I grew up under it. So if you like something, ah, that must not be God. It's the one that is unpleasant, the one that is challenging. That must be the will of God. We are taught that way. But we fail to understand that the scripture says in the book of Philippians that it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is working within you. In fact, when you are being crafted in your mother's womb, he was already putting certain proclivities, certain tendencies into your very being to cause you to be attracted to certain things because he knew that you were going to need those things to be able to fulfill your divine purpose. So instead of considering your every desire and proclivity, as some form of against God's will. What if it is a tip off to what God really wants you to do? I want you to be. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So I've stopped struggling. I've, I rather I've surrendered and I'm allowing God to work in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The book of Psalms says it this way. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not so much that he's going to give you what you desire. He's going to give you what to desire. Because the word that is translated delight is the word that is translated let that be pliable, like plasticine, like clay. Let the Lord mold you and he will mold the right desire into you so that you would desire to go to Afghanistan if it is Afghanistan that he wants you to go. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? I'm not struggling with the will of God. I'm happy and confident to pray for the will of God. But what I do now is that I seek to know what that will is. So when God came onto an earth that was without form and void, the first thing that he did 
was not to start commanding trees to grow, plants to grow, animals to come out, fish to be. The first thing that God said was, let there be light. Because light now exposes everything that is out of place and that is wrong. So that he now knew what to do to put everything back in order. Same with you. Every time you want to pray, the first thing to do is Give me light. Let me know your will, oh God. Because if you have light, then you will know what to pray. You will know how to pray. It reminds me of something that happened in my life many years ago. There was a couple that came to me. They, ch- they had just had a newborn baby and they were having all sorts of challenges with the newborn baby. And, and we, we were praying for healing. We were praying for healing. We were praying for healing. And then God said that, he inspired me and said that, is it healing you need or is it a miracle you need? I said, what's the difference? He said, there's a difference. He said, stop praying for a miracle. Stop praying for a miracle. I said, I said, all right. We pray for a miracle. We start praying for a miracle. A few weeks later, they came back. They had been to the doctors. They had done some, M- um, some barium meal um, x-ray. And it had shown that the large intestine had not fully formed at the lower end, which was why the baby was having all of these digestive problems because it couldn't really excrete the way it was supposed to excrete. And this was not so much an effect infection. This was not fully developed, right? And so they were saying, talking about, okay, what type of intervention are we going to take? They hadn't taken any intervention. But immediately they came and told me that, I, it immediately came back to me that this is why God said, it's not a healing these people need. It's a creative miracle they need. We intensified our prayers for a creative miracle, not necessarily for a healing. Two weeks later, they came back. They said they went back to the hospital for a, a, if, because the hospital are now talking about doing a, a, a surgery to join the healthy part down to the lower part and cut out the part that, is, that was not fully developed. Said that the doctors were amazed. That when they got back and they did the examination again, they said, this does not normally happen. That if it hadn't developed before now, it, that's it. But now we can see that the whole thing is, it, there's a clear way now. There's, there's a thorough way now. And God was using it to teach me. As much as it was using it to bless them, he was saying that, seek to find out what the right prayer to pray is. Because sometimes it's simply that you are praying amiss. Give me insight. Give me revelation, oh God. Give me light. Help me to see your will so that I will know how to pray. Somebody shout, amen. Amen. We must rise and not be the company that is outsourcing our prayers to others, but rather growing up to pray ourselves. I lead prayer sessions myself consistently, regularly. I will and I do continually pray for you, but I must also teach you how to pray. Listening to prayer is not the same thing as praying. Hello? Did you hear me what I'm saying? Listening to prayer is not the same thing as pr- You haven't prayed until you have prayed. You have to learn to pray yourself. I start to round up by going back to the initial text. The initial text, not the initial one. I'm going to, first of all, go to 
James and chapter 5 and verse 16, where it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we now look at the identity of the person that is praying. The identity of the person that is able to pray effective prayer. That's able to pray the prayer that changes life. It tells us the identity of this person. And he says, this person is who? He is the righteous man. He's the righteous man. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man causes power to go to work. Causes power to avail. Who is this righteous man? Let me ask your neighbor, who is this righteous man? Who is this righteous man? Who is this righteous man? Now, in our normal understanding of righteousness, you think that this righteous man is the goody two shoes that got everything together, that dots his I's and crosses his T's, that's always polite, cool, calm, and collected. That's a gentleman or, or, or a fine lady. He's, he's just proper. He doesn't do anything wrong. He's always doing what is right. This, in our thinking, is the righteous man. And because of this type of thinking, that's why we're always trying to recruit people that we consider to be righteous men to pray for us. Because we think they are more righteous than I. So if he prays, God will hear. But since I am unrighteous, unrighteous God will not hear my prayer. This is why we visit the priest and we visit the prophet. Because they are more righteous in our thinking than us. And therefore their prayers will be more efficacious than our own prayer. But that's Old Testament praying or thinking. This is the problem in the church we live in today. The church we live in today is still carrying a lot of Old Testament thinking into New Testament living. Because in the New Testament, God totally redefines what righteousness is. In fact, he lets us know that all of our own righteousness is as filthy rags. That means... Of all of us, uh, there is none that is righteous. Even the most pious, even the most holy, if you like. From God's eyes, that person is still not righteous. All, not some, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So you cannot approach God in your own righteousness. If you are approaching God on the premise of your own righteousness, You've already failed right from the beginning. You're disqualified right from the beginning. The only way that you can approach God is with his righteousness. Is anybody hearing me this Sunday morning? So 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what that is saying? That is saying that you and I are now the righteousness of God. Not based upon what we do or what we don't do, but based upon what Christ 
has already done on our behalf. Because of what he has done, I have been declared righteous. Therefore, I can boldly, not timidly, without any fear, I can confidently approach the throne of grace with my head held up high, my shoulders squared, and my chest out, and obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Can I prophesy to somebody that even as you are catching this revelation, this Sunday afternoon, a new level of boldness, a new level of confidence is coming on your life because you're not standing in your own righteousness. You're standing in the righteousness of God. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all principality and power. You are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you believe it, come and show yeah. I am the righteousness of God. God. God has made me righteous. Just like Jesus who knew no sin was made sin for me. I who knew no righteousness because all my righteousness is as filthy rags. I have been declared righteous. I am righteous. Somebody shout, I am righteous. Not because of anything I have done, but because of what Christ has done. I am righteous. And as I looked at it and I studied it, God said, look at it again. I want you to look at it and I want you to study it. I want you to understand it. I said, okay, look at the word righteous. I said, yes, righteous. He said, look at it again. I said, righteous. He said, look at it again. I said, righteous. He said, righteous. He said, slow down. Say it slowly. I said, righteous. Slower still. Righteous. Did you get it? Rights. Shus. Said, do you see it now? I said, not quite. He said, rights. Shus. He said, you've got rights. Your righteousness gives you rights. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't hear me what I'm saying. You've got rights. Because you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have rights to everything that God promised. Can I tell somebody this Sunday morning, you have a right to prosper. You have a right to be healed. You have a right to be delivered. You have a right to break through. You have a right to supernatural turn around. Come on, come on. You are the righteousness of God. You have righteousness. You have rights for deliverance. You have rights to be victorious. Are there any righteous people under the sound of my voice who realize this Sunday morning I've got rights because I am the righteousness of God. Therefore, I stand before the enemy without any fear or intimidation for whatsoever things I bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever things I loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven I'm not doing it in my own righteousness uh, you've been disqualifying yourself from taking authority because you thought that you were not righteous but I came to tell you this 
Sunday that you are righteous. The problem in the church is we've been too sin conscious and we haven't been enough righteousness conscious. It's time for you to rehearse to yourself consistently. I am the righteousness of God. Therefore, I have rights to bind and it will be bound to loose and it will be loosed. If you hear me what I'm saying and you believe it, what it is that I'm saying to you, come and shout yeah! I've got rights, I've got rights, I've got rights. I've got rights, I've got rights. What is it that you're looking for? What what is it that you're desirous? If it's in God's word, if it is one of his promises, you have a right to it. And it's time for you to lay claim on it in the mighty name of Jesus. Listen to me. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that you have blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all, not some, not almost all, but with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Number one, notice, it says who has blessed us, not who is going to bless us, it's saying who has. So that is past tense. That means you are already blessed. Tell your neighbor you are already blessed. You might not feel it. You might not look like it. But you are already blessed. You might not smell like it. You might not live like it yet. You might not be driving like it. But you are already blessed. Uh, He says you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Uh, In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Not some. Not most. Not almost all. But all spiritual blessings all things that pertain unto life and godliness whatever you are facing you are already blessed with what you need to be able to overcome it but there's a problem in the verse the problem in the verse is the location of these blessings it says that I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings where? in heavenly places in Christ Jesus oh I'm blessed in heaven but I'm walking on the earth. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm healed in heaven, but I'm encountering sickness on the earth. Oh, you didn't hear me what I'm saying. It's the finished work in heaven, but it doesn't seem quite finished here on earth. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So what am I supposed to do? This is the challenge of every believer. The challenge of every believer is that we are living in two realities at the same time. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but yet we are walking on the earth. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Blessed above, but facing challenges below. How do I deal with this? Let me tell you how you deal with this. It is through exceedingly abundantly above prayer because prayer is the access. It is the transportation. It is the thoroughfare for what I have in heaven to become translated into my earth. Do you hear me what I'm saying? Every time I pray, I access my blessings in heaven and I transfer them down to my place on the earth. That's why Satan is fighting your prayer life. Because he knows that if he can shut down your prayer life, he has shut down your access to the finished work. Your access to every blessing in heavenly places. But that devil is a liar. We're opening up the fairway. We're opening up the passage. We're opening up the road. Even this 
Sunday and the blessings are going to pour down. Blessings that you will not have room enough to contain are coming in your space. Even when they say there's a casting down, you are going to decree and declare with evidence to prove that there is a lifting up. If you believe it, come and shout yes. I know this might seem hard to believe, particularly in times like this, where inflation is at a record high, where all craziness is busting loose, left, right, and center. But we are not natural men or natural women. We serve a God that we are convinced about his character. We're convinced about his ability. We're convinced about what he has already done. And we know that through our effective and fervent prayer, we're translating the blessings down. If it's you I'm talking about and you believe it, come and show you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are too blessed to be cursed. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said you are too blessed to be cursed. You are too blessed to be cursed. You've got to renew your mind. You see, we've believed wrong things, man. We've really believed wrong things. We've thought that the blessing and the curse are equal opposites. Not, sir. Not, sir. There's something that's stronger. The blessing is stronger than the curse. Oh, Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Oh, God. Jesus. Oh, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? You've got to renew your mind. The cost cannot stay. You are too blessed. You are too blessed. Uh, I know a lot of our cultural things makes us believe so much in the curse and so little in the blessing. No, 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 no. Uh, listen, the Bible tells you something. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, a curse causeless shall not come. So for a curse to be legitimate, there has to be a curse, cause, a touch point, a reason why that curse can come. Now somebody said that, oh, but pastor, that justifies what I'm telling you. I know the cause. I know what I did. I know what my father did. I know what my father's father did that is causing this curse to have legitimacy in my life or in my arena or in my family. I need to renew your mind. Hallelujah. I need to let you know that that devil is a liar. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this. That if any man. Hello, hello, hello. He said, if any man be in Christ, the same is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new so I don't care who your great grandfather was who your great grandfather was who your grandfather was who your father I don't even care what you did now that you are in Christ you are a new creation you have been separated from that lineage so the curse is illegitimate the curse is only perpetrated because of your ignorance the day you know the truth the truth will set you free you are too blessed to be cursed if you believe it show ya 
I'm breaking familiar curses. Even this Sunday, I'm shattering them. I'm shattering them. I'm shattering them with knowledge. I'm shattering them with truth. I'm shattering them with light. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. We've got to renew our mind. It's just, you know, you know, it's just like we think the opposite of light, darkness. Good, good, evil or bad. Yeah, good, great. These are opposites. So the opposite of God, the opposite of God, the opposite of God. I, I, I love it. I love it. You got it. You got it. Because a lot of people consciously, subconsciously believe that the devil is the opposite of God. So we think that they are equal opposites. They might be opposite, but they ain't equal. Oh, Jesus. Because God is the creator. The devil is a created being. He is not equal opposite to God. That's why I'm still telling you that the blessing is superior to the curse. That God is the creator. The devil is the created. Ah, we preach the devil too big. It's time for us to preach him down and preach God up. Ah, is there anybody ready to lift up the name of Jesus? Under the sound of my voice. Come and shout, yeah! Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We thank you for light. We thank you for truth. We thank you for liberty, emancipation, true and total freedom give you all the glory, Lord. Thank you for the exceeding abundantly above that you do in our lives in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Go ahead and bless the name of the Lord. Go ahead and lift him up.